Welcome to the Wildlife Explorer, a podcast by Essex Wildlife Trust, where we aim to inspire you with our work to protect the wildlife and wild places of Essex and what you can do to help wildlife wherever you live. On today's episode, we'll be talking about one of the most fundamental aspects of being able to live a happy and healthy life, and that's our well-being. And specifically, we'll be looking at how nature can have such an important part to play in helping us to achieve this. From random acts of wildness to meditation, the power of volunteering to the importance of instilling a love of nature in our children, we hope there'll be something that everyone can find useful to enhancing their own well-being. It's all coming up on the show. saw a TV advertisement for a wonder product that could banish stress, boost your mood, give you a sense of purpose, reduce anxiety and even help banish a few of those post-lockdown pounds, you'd probably be falling over yourself to give them your money. Either that or you'd be reaching for the phone to call Watchdog as the claims would seem so far-fetched. However, the truth is there is a wonder product of sorts and best of all, it's free and accessible to everyone. That product is called nature. Scientific studies have proven time and time again that spending even the shortest amount of time outside and away from a screen can have huge benefits to your health and general well-being. There's no trials and tests you need to be part of, no waiting around on a miracle cure. All you need to do is make the time and step outside and the benefits will become apparent almost instantly. Well-being is an all-encompassing word and travels many different paths for many different people. Everyone is searching for something slightly different and being in nature gives you the opportunity to have some freedom to think, some downtime to be alone with your thoughts and a few minutes of escapism. Quite often, A problem that seems overwhelming before going for a quick wander can seem more easily solvable after stepping away and having a change of scenery. Nature is always there, always surprising and always inspirational. For me personally, I find that as you become an adult, things that you once found joy in start to lose their shine, simply because we've experienced them too many times, we know what to expect. The wonderful thing about nature is that it's always changing. Even walking the same route every day, there will be something new to see and to wonder at. Have you noticed how the wildflowers seem to change almost daily, replaced by yet another beauty in its place? How, seemingly from nowhere, the chirruping of swallows and swifts now fills the air? How the trees and bushes have changed from brown to green almost seamlessly? Dragonflies pop up from nowhere and dance in the glinting sunlight where just a few short weeks ago the air was still cold and silent. If we allow it, nature can ground us and remind us that there's a much bigger world out there that's forever changing and perhaps things aren't quite as bad as they first seem. 
Getting out and about in nature can happen in many different ways, each with their own positive impacts on our well-being. One way to get outdoors and meet like-minded people along the way is by volunteering. Kelly Osborne is our Volunteering Development Manager here at the Trust and she's going to talk to us about some of the benefits that come from donating your time to a cause you believe in, as well as hearing from one of our incredible volunteers, Peter, who is sharing his own personal story of how volunteering has helped him to overcome adversity. Hello, my name is Kelly Osborne. I'm the Volunteering Development Manager at the Essex Wildlife Trust, and I'm gonna talk a little bit to you today about getting outside, volunteering, and why it is good for you. So I'm sat outdoors at our Fingering Wick Nature Reserve, and it's the first day of June. The sun has come out for what seems like the first time this year, so it's a great time to be relaxing and soaking up the sun. On top of that, the first day of June is also the first day of the Wildlife Trust 30 Days Wild campaign and of National Volunteers Week. So it's a really excellent time to talk about how you can get outside, interact with nature, volunteer and why you might want to do all of that for your own well-being. So there's a lot of information floating around at the moment about nature and well-being. From forest bathing to ecotherapy, it can all sound a bit woolly. But there is more and more research that suggests nature can support good well-being. But what actually is well-being? If you search for well-being on the internet, the first definition that comes up is being comfortable, happy or healthy. It might seem obvious that getting a bit of fresh air can improve your mood and that going for a walk can improve your health, but there is much more to it than just getting outside. Volunteering with the Wildlife Trust links with something called the five ways to well-being, which are five really simple steps you can take to improve your own well-being. The first of the five steps is to connect with other people. Volunteering can be a really great way to meet new people, feel a part of something big, and to share positive experiences of nature with like-minded others. The second way to well-being is to be physically active. This can seem really daunting if, like me, you hate exercise, or if you're suffering from low well-being. But being active does not necessarily mean going out for a five-mile walk or going for a really long cycle. It can just be visiting a local nature reserve and moving a little bit more than you would normally. Joining a volunteer work party, which are our groups that manage habitats, can be a great way to get moving by using new tools and exploring new areas. It also means you can get active with other people, which makes it much easier to stick to in the long run. Thirdly, volunteering with us can help you learn new skills. You don't have to be an expert to come and volunteer with us. We have a vast pool of shared knowledge about wildlife, about talking to visitors, about conservation, and you can learn from everyone you interact with at the Trust. Lots of our volunteers choose to undertake training in a really wide range of areas, from using brush cutters and other tools, to doing till training, um, to learning more about diversity and inclusion, to campaigning. You can learn lots and put your new skills into practice here at the Trust. Volunteering is a really direct way to give to others, which is the fourth way to well-being. Maintaining community spaces and helping preserve nature can create a sense of achievement that is great for well-being as well as for the planet. The final way to well-being is to take notice of the here and now. 
When you are volunteering, it's a great way to focus the mind on a particular task, or it can be a great way to make a conscious effort to study a butterfly or a bird and take notice of the world around you. This is easier if you're out volunteering and you're trying to focus on something anyway. The Wildlife Trust have loads of information on their website about nature and well-being. If you're interested, do have a look and you can find out a lot more. Don't just take my word for it. A study conducted by the Wildlife Trust in 2017 into the health and well-being impacts of volunteering showed that over six weeks, 95% of participants reported improved well-being whilst volunteering with us. If you're still not convinced, why not find out a bit more from our volunteering team? Hello Peter, and thank you for coming to my butterfly walk. Nice to see you again. No, nice to be here as always. Sunny day. Yeah, lovely sunny day. Walking from Crawshaw Hyde, serenaded by nightingales. That shrill is just so nice. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's very distinct. Yeah, definitely. Can't mistake it for anything else. So a reasonable breeze, which makes life a lot better because it is seriously hot. We're not used to it. It's been so so cold this this may accustomed to it now i think that's probably why the nightingales is only my own crazy theory but i reckon they're singing a little bit more because everything's a bit two weeks behind really isn't it, it because is, of the yeah. cold yeah so just coming up to one of my favorite bits actually around here i love this viewpoint across the brightland sea yeah it's one of my favorites in the reserve as well actually and I remember, <laughs> I remember trying to clear it after lockdown. It all grown up, hadn't it? Oh, oh man. That was a fun day, me and you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was hard work. Honest hard work. Honest hard work. Can't get much more rewarding. So, Peter, remind me again why you uh, wanted to volunteer with me. Well, it's actually quite straightforward. Um, I had a very stressful job or so I was told but I didn't see it you don't <laughs> when you're in these things you don't know you've got them you know because yeah. it was not like normal life I'd been doing it like 14 years and it meant I was literally flying all over the place so life went very very quickly because I was always really really busy um you know crammed full of work um and then I got ill so I, oh cue the nightingale um and I got very ill, um, physically ill, and I had to have some surgery on my spine and whatnot. I'll bore you with the details, but after that, then I had a brain swell, and it actually left my brain confuddled and messed up. Mm -hmm. um, and during my recovery, I couldn't walk very far and things like that. Um, so during my recovery, I would come here and I'd kind of give myself a goal to walk a, a certain distance each time I came and go a little bit further and, yeah. and got my fitness back. Um, but when you have something wrong with your, your brain, you, you, you're not the same person anymore and you don't think the same way. And, and I got really seriously depressed, life-threateningly depressed. Um, I wasn't who I was, literally wasn't who I used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and this place reconnected me to my childhood and I think uh, to life 
I had, I'd had 14 years where I'd, I'd been very successful in my job, but I'd been very unsuccessful at life. Makes sense. I'd lost my way to a certain degree, and this re- it helped me reconnect. It reconnected to my childhood a little bit because I played in this area. Um, and it's very familiar and comforting. Yes. And, and it, I would say that took about two years to recover. Um, and then it, I had an epiphany and I thought, I'm not going back to work, but I'm naturally a very busy person. And this place means so much to me, you know, and, and I found out about volunteering. And, and what I've learned about the volunteering, what the joy of it is not, it's not about what you get, because you get so much from it. It purpose. So you do. Yeah, I've found a purpose, uh, and I've, I've found a genuine purpose and a real reason to wake up in the morning and come somewhere and do something. And it's not about chasing dollars. It's about actually living. Yeah. And it sounds bizarre to have had a relatively glamorous lifestyle jetting off all over the place. It's really knackering. I was permanently jet lagged. But it was a pretty soulless existence, to be honest. And it's not really who I am. I should have done... If I had my time again, I'd be doing what I'm doing now, which is, you know... I love the helping the out with charity, helping out with charity, but it's really helping out with this place, making this place exist still. Yeah. The, the work that you do as the ranger is is really inspirational. I've learnt so much. And likewise, I wouldn't do anything without you guys. I couldn't do anything without you guys. I like it up there yeah. with the the differentiation between the wooded area. And the, the estuary and that, those great big meadows. Are they just meadows? Would you call them meadows? Yeah, yeah, the extension meadows. The extension meadows. Yeah. And those buttercups and and the wheat field next to it, you know, with the wind catching it. I love that. It looks yeah. like a sea. A wheat sea. A wheat sea. And we're walking back up from Market's Hyde back towards the, the visitor centre. A nice spot with that small heath, though. Yeah, small heath butterfly, yep. Very small. <laughs> Good name for it, found yeah. on the heath. Yeah. <laughs> chiff chaff. Oh yeah, chiff chaff, chiff chaff, chiff chaff. I really like the marsh, the whole marsh thing, and of course I'm a marsh you, you, you harrier. Yeah, oh. marsh harrier addict. I, marsh I do love a marsh harrier. And the fact that you can see them here in the same place as you can see turtle doves or you can go for a walk in the woods and just listen to all the normal woodland bird um, well, life. That's, that's what makes Fingerhoe so great, it's a mosaic habitat. You can literally walk in from intertidal mudflats and you know looking at oyster catchers and red shanks and, and skylarks and then two minutes later you're in scrub and you've got garden warbler and chiff chaff and nightingales. Yeah. And then almost another five minute walk and you're into the grassland and you've got the grass snakes and the slow worms and the lizards. Yeah, got oh, lovely slow worms, yeah. That was nice as we found one the other day, didn't we? We did. Yeah, I found a, I found a pregnant uh, common lizard the other day as well. Oh, really? And the other thing is, I think the seasons are really pronounced here because of the tidal element yeah. and you've got the woodland, so you see the colour changes, but you know, the, the different heights in the tides and 
brings in the different types of bird life. It's really pronounced the seasons, and I, I really like that. Having been here for quite some time now, I really notice it. Yeah. You come on a regular basis. You're never going to get bored, I mean, because it's never the same twice, is it? No, like even, even with the woodlands, you've got um, evergreen, coniferous trees in amongst the deciduous ones, and, you know, yeah, it's always green. There's always somewhere green. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so if you're listening to this wondering about whether you should ever volunteer. Or visit. Or visit. I say from a volunteering point of view, this is really good for your health. You're not going to find any more worthwhile thing that is so outdoors and in the wilderness if, if that floats your boat. But also so if it doesn't float your boat, give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> be surprised. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you'd be surprised. A huge thank you to Peter and Alex for sharing their experiences. Thanks very much to Kelly and Alex and to Peter for sharing that very personal story with us. If you think you might be interested in volunteering for the Trust, do head over to our website where you can find lots of information and you can always give us a call and see if there's something happening in your area that you'd like to get involved in. You never know what you might experience or who you might meet by picking up the phone and giving it a try. Next, we're going to move on to our wildlife wows. What inspiring sights you can hope to spot this month when you're out and about. At this time of the year, look out for adult male stag beetles on mild summer evenings. Watch out for them clumsily flying across woodlands, farmlands, towns and gardens as they go in search of mates. Once the male has found a mate, he displays his famously massive antler-like jaws to her and uses them to fight off rival males in a similar fashion to deer. These impressive appendages may look fearsome, but they're actually completely harmless to humans. June is also one of the finest months to go on a hunt for flowers. A variety of weird and wonderful orchids pop up across the county, tall foxgloves loom high above the woodland floor, Pastel dog rose flowers and sweet-smelling honeysuckle decorate hedgerows and cheerful ox-eye daisies gently sway in the soft breeze. With so many wonderful species of flowering plant, why not spend some time trying to identify what you see in the walk? Draw a quick sketch or take a picture to identify after your wild walk. If you live locally, head down to our Sergeant's Orchard Nature Reserve in Bures where you can enjoy displays of orchids, red clover and red barsia at this picturesque slice of the countryside. Keep your eyes peeled for the rare large cardaby foraging within this mix of traditional and new orchard. This little bee is a focus of our conservation efforts at this reserve. Being in nature isn't just beneficial to adults, it plays a vital role in helping our children have a happy, healthy childhood too. When you think back to your own childhood, it's likely you have some happy memories of playing outside, building dens, 
going on long bike rides with your friends, summer day adventures, and maybe the odd tumble or two into a patch of stinging nettles, which, from personal experience, isn't quite nice, but a memory to laugh at now, nonetheless. Here at the Trust, we run lots of different outdoor educational activities for children, where they can get stuck into nature, learn new skills, get messy, run around, and generally have a great time whilst learning all about the natural world. In September, our pioneering all-outdoor nature nursery will be opening its doors, and the children from age two to five can develop their love of nature, even getting to grow their own vegetables and tend to the chickens in the garden. Melanie Mutin is our outdoor nursery manager and is here to take us on a tour of the facilities to see what fun they have in store. Hello and welcome to the Nature Nursery, Essex Wildlife Trust, pioneering outdoor nursery for children aged between two and five year olds, open all year round from 8am to 5.30, due to open in September. The nature nursery is set in the grounds of Abbots Hall Farm in Great Wigborough, only 15 minutes from Colchester. With over 600 acres of beautiful countryside, the children have the freedom to learn through the natural world. Essex Wildlife Trust visited outdoor nurseries in Sweden, Denmark and Finland, where outdoors learning is embraced as the best possible way for children to learn. The nature nursery has three learning zones, providing a rich sensory learning experiences for all children. I'm going to take you today down to Badger's Garden, through the Lamb's Orchard, and finally into the woodlands. I'm walking down the purpose-built wooden ramp that's accessible for all the children and families. To the left of me, I can see the parents' notice board detailing all of the important information, such as the designated key persons, first aiders, fire marshals, and designated Senko. Let's go through the gate now into the Badger's Garden, which is a large, secure garden. As we walk into the Badger's Garden, immediately to the right, I can see a wooden E-shaped vegetable patch, around nine metres in length and three metres wide, with wheelbarrows, trowels, forks, and a range of allotment books. Let's take a look and see what's been growing recently had a series of mini open days for the children and families to come and plant fruit bushes, herbs and sow their seeds. I can see a little row of sprouting onions in one section. Billy's little gem lettuces are growing on well and Hugo's carrots need thinning out to give them a little space to grow. Immediately behind the vegetable patch I can see the children's fruit bushes starting to climb up the willow trellis alongside the fence lush green leaves of the blackberry bush, plump veiny gooseberries and blackcurrant bushes. To the right of the fruit bushes I can see a sweet pea teepee. It's of a pyramid shape and I can see a range of beautifully scented sweet peas, pinks, reds and purples. Next to the teepee I can see the potato sacks are coming on quite nicely. Well done Otis on your early potatoes. In September, the children will be able to scribe their list of weekly gardening jobs and have the opportunity to measure, record and nurture their seedlings. Let's head off now to another area. 
immediately to the right of the vegetable patch, I can see a beautiful outdoor shelter that was built on a Scandinavian design that's supported by hand-sculpted sweet chestnut posts, cedar roof and side panels. I can see two wooden low-level preparation areas for the children. On one side, there's a warm water hand-washing sink. The other side, perfect for the children to chop the fruits and vegetables from the nearby vegetable patch. The children can chop and create their own recipes in this beautiful area. As we walk further around the inside, I can see in front of me a beautiful dome-shaped pizza oven. The children will be able to bake breads and pizzas and pick herbs from the local sensory garden, which I'm going to take you on to next. Who'd have thought cooking outdoors could be so much fun? The children have planted a range of herbs in two large upcycled tractor tires from the farm. I can see lavender, mint, basil, sweet scented lemon balm, fennel, rosemary and oregano. Perfect for the soups, stews and pizza toppings, as well as attracting the local pollinators. To the right of the garden, I'm going to take you over now to the wooden seesaws, balancing beams, all sourced from the local chestnut trees. Great for building children's core strength and agility. Let's head over now to the mud kitchen. In front of me, I can see an old white reclaimed butler sink that holds large clumps of clay sourced from the boundaries of this site. Surrounding this area, we have wooden potato crates that house a range of natural materials, giant fir cones, glistening shells from the local beach, large stones, pebbles, metal teapots, spoons, jugs, tea strainers and tongs. This area provides a rich learning opportunities for mathematical language such as half full, heavier, lighter than. The children will learn about shape, space, weight and capacity. We will be encouraging the children to squeeze and squash the clay these malleable experiences are vital in developing children's hand-eye coordination and strengthening the muscles in the children's fingers. As I look around the inside of the yurt, I can see it's supported by expandable wooden wall-like sections with three portholes that open out to allow a gentle breeze. There are four cosy nest beds with throws and books, perfect to snuggle down and read a story. On the floor, I can see a rectangular natural jute rug in the middle with a range of books and puppets that will spark the children's interest and imagination in the world around them. There is a large wooden kitchen area and table with weighing scales and cooking books, clipboards to encourage the children to write shopping lists, create recipe cards for their friends using their knowledge of the growing vegetables and fruits. Towards the back of the yurt, there is a cosy black log burner with a fire guard surrounding. Behind the yurt, we have two eco-loos and a nappy changing shed that houses three composting toilets and a nappy changing unit. On the outside of the shed is a purpose-built trough-like hand washing sink to enable the children to be independent and healthy and to develop their own self-help skills. I'm going to take you now off to the beautiful meadow. Let's open up the gate. This area is roughly the size of a football pitch and the children will have the opportunity to have free flow access from the Badger's Garden 
after around 9am once all the children have arrived. As I walk into the meadow, I can almost see immediately to the left of me a hill that we've created that we've called Badgerset. We've used a large pile of topsoil to create a hill with scattered grass seed and wildflower seed. The children can climb, slide, roll down. Let me take you to the top. probably hear the nearby bumblebees that are attracted to the lacy fallacia growing up the side. Wow, this area is really quite special with views, 360 panoramic views of the surrounding site. Behind me, a rich carpet of purple flowers dancing in the distance. I can just about see the sparkling waters from Mersey. To the left of me, I can see the tops of the trees in the woods. To the right, I can see the barns that sometimes hold the red pole cows or the Norfolk feral goats that come to visit with farm machinery and tractors. At this height, it really does give you a different perspective for the surrounding Essex countryside. This would develop the children's spatial awareness and could create a map of the site using the mathematical language left, right, behind, in front of, over and in between. We have created a library, come snug area, using a wooden pallets, which have throws, cushions and blankets for chilly days. On the outside, we have logs that have been made into bookcases with books, maps and ordnance surveys. There are a number of clipboards to enable the children to write down and make comments from their favourite book and create bookmarks using pressed wildflowers from the meadow. This will help develop early literacy skills and encourage expressive arts and design. Let's wander off now through the meadow over to the construction site. As I amble through the long tickly grass, I can see clover, wild chicory almost reaching my waist. We've arrived at the construction site and I can see an area that we've created using upcycled materials from the farm. The children have used bricks, sand, shingle to construct a square enclosed shaped structure. They have used shiny black slates to construct a roof with shovels, forks, rakes and buckets and logs. I can see a wooden children's design hide which has children's sketches with an enclosed structure with children's names etched onto the board. Let's amble across now to the middle of the meadow. I can see a large tan coloured bell tent, conical in shape with a triangular shaped zipped entrance with yellow and white pattern bunting entwined between the guide ropes. Let me take you inside. The sun is streaming through the thick canvas walls. It's a beautiful June sunny afternoon. I can see immediately in front of me the pole in the middle supporting this 19 and a half square meter tent. A beautiful pink patterned Middle Eastern style rug is central with sandstone coloured cushions. Let me take you outside now and let's go and explore a little further. As I come out of the tent across the meadow I can see a raised wooden structure three meters long with lime branches as posts either side 
supporting a canvas material attached to the side of the fence. This is the children's stage. It really does resemble the primrose stage at Glastonbury. A few steps away, I'm going to take you over and have a look in the basket. I can see material with dressing up items to spark the children's imagination. Let's have a look in this basket. The basket's full of guayros, tambours, cabasas and coconut shells with wooden sticks and beaters. To the right of the stage, I can see a large wooden xylophone made from hanging logs. I can see a triangular shaped music hall with pots and pans, colanders gently swaying in the breeze. This area really does support the children's artistic and cultural awareness, developing imagination and creativity. The children will have the opportunity to design and create instruments and props during role play in characters and stories, performing songs, rhymes and poems in collaboration with their peers. Come on, let's head over to the hammocks. I can see six sweet chestnut posts in a circular shape supporting six striped material hammocks swaying in this afternoon's breeze. The children have loved climbing in these. You could easily fit two in at a time, reading stories, making up rhymes to each other. A great place to have an afternoon snooze, watch the cloud formation and see the wading birds fly over towards the nearby estuary. Let's climb out of the hammocks now and explore the rest of the meadow. To the right of the hammocks, I can see a wooden bench nestled in between the clover and wildflowers. A rug with art materials to enable the children to express themselves using a wide range of mediums, charcoal from the campfire, paints, chalks and pastels. I'm going to take you a bit further along the meadow now towards the back right hand side. I can see the crab apples, conference pears, cherries, plums, russets, a great source of pollinators. In the surrounding areas there are large oak tree stumps for the children to sit and play and explore and just really take in the natural surroundings. What a beautiful location we're in. We're at the back of the meadow now. Let's go through the wooden gate. We'll be taking the children across here every afternoon for forest school sessions. I can see ahead of me a wooden decked bridge with two handrails either side. The children have already named this the Trip Trap Bridge. Let me take you across. At the end of the wooden handrail, bunting draws you into the woodlands, attached to a natural pathway. Immediately as you walk in, you can smell the heavy fragrant scent of the hawthorn trees. Walking in, I can see the flowers either side of me. I can feel the protection of the trees from the warm sun. It feels like all my senses have really literally just come alive. The heady scent of the trees, my feet in the moist soil below, cracking and snapping as I walk over the small branches beneath me. In front of me, I can see a small tree stump from a lime tree. I'm bending down to take a closer look. I can see turkey tail fungi at the base of the stump, slightly green from the recent downpour. The children have placed a small stick next to it, poking up a small piece of red material 
This is the children's warning to each other. We have a rule, no picky, no licky in forest school. The children will be able to come over into the woods each morning with another friend and their key person, bringing their nature and journaling books and an iPad. They'll be able to see low level branches, any trip hazards, and bring and share that news back to the log circle with their friends each morning. I turn left and the woods slowly start to open. I'm guided by the colourful boundary bunting that encompasses this forest school area. The children will develop their own set of rules for the nursery. I can see a couple of wooden pallets with twigs, sticks and fir cones nearby with a sign saying Bug Hotel. The children and families will develop this area on their next visit at the end of June. You can probably hear the chirping and peeping and the cuckoo just in the distance. To the left of me, I can hear a blackbird calling to his friends. As I look up to the canopy, it's intensely green. Hawthorns, rowans, ash. I can see the sky is peeking through, almost a cornflower blue. Oh, hold on, I need to duck down under the hawthorn bushes and branches. I can see guide ropes, rope swings, all attached to the trees. To the right of me, I can see a small clearing with around 20 oak old tree stumps in a circular shape. In the middle, I can see a fire pit. Surrounding the pit is a large rope, one metre surrounding the pit. This is called the safety circle. The children will not go inside this circle when the fire is lit and will kneel down to toast their marshmallows. In this area, we'll also be cooking vegetables harvested from the veg patch to create soups and stews or forage the blackcurrants and loganberries to make warm fruit teas in the autumn and the winter. Stepping over, I can see log piles immediately in front of me to encourage the natural wildlife. The children will be using their natural journaling books to draw the ever-changing wildlife around them. The beauty of the nature nursery and these woods is that there will not be a typical day as this will depend on the weather and the changing seasons for the children. The children will be able to identify trees from the bark, shape of the leaves, build dens and identify and listen to birdsong. They'll be able to classify, match and sort branches and leaves. We might be lucky to hear the cuckoo. I've heard him recently and I've seen the perfectly shaped circles from the green woodpecker on the outer edge of the woods. So I'm stepping over the branches. I can see lime logs on the ground ready for the children to create dens and shelters using the natural environment. The nature nursery in forest school naturally encourages the children to be active learners. Children can concentrate and keep trying even if they encounter challenges. The children's key persons will be planning and skillfully guiding what the children learn, allowing them time to play, explore, investigate and experience new things. Children will be creating and thinking critically, developing their own ideas, making links and developing strategies for themselves. Let's head off now to the bird hide, just a short walk away. As we come out of the woods and head, head down to the bird hide, 
The area is so vast. You can see the estuary for miles and miles. We've reached a bird hide now. Let's take a look inside. It's huge, this beautiful wooden hut. Let me open up the viewing panel. I can see immediately in front of me the estuary. I can see some birds to the left, to the right. Sometimes we've seen cormorants. This is just another area that we can take the children off to, to go off and explore. We believe the only form of education that is fit for the future is an education based on a deep relationship with nature. For some more information, please do call us on 07730217262 or alternatively email us on info at naturenursery.org.uk. Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. Makes me wish I was five again. Now, June is a special month for another reason. It's 30 Days Wild, our huge summer campaign where we set everyone the challenge of trying to complete one random act of wildness each day throughout the month. Over 123,000 people and counting signed up across the country this year, and taking part is scientifically proven to make you feel happier healthier and more connected to nature. If you didn't sign up this year, why not give it a go for the rest of the month anyway? And you'll still feel the benefits of getting outside and noticing what's going on around you. We all get very excited about 30 Days Wild every year and many of our staff get involved in the action. Today we're joined by Lily, Bailey, John and his daughter Harriet who are going to be telling us what they're up to and hopefully start you off with a few wild ideas. Hi, I'm Lily and I'm the Communications Assistant here at Essex Wildlife Trust. This is the fourth year I've taken part in 30 Days Wild and it's one of my favourite challenges. Every year I always learn something new about wildlife in Essex, take a little longer to look at an insect or a dainty wildflower, and realise just how important it is to incorporate nature into your daily routine. I'm not sure what I'd do without it. I'm lucky that I have a garden at home, so many of my random acts of wildness happen right here. It's so important that we make our green spaces wildlife friendly, so for most of June and the rest of the year, I spend time trying to encourage and help wildlife. Here are some random acts of wildness you could carry out in your garden to make it more wildlife friendly this June. One thing I definitely recommend is popping up a bee hotel. You could make this yourself or even buy one, but they're a buzz at the moment with solitary bees laying their eggs and it's so, so interesting to watch them come in and out of the little holes. You could create a brick pile in your garden, brick pile or log pile. This is a place of refuge for reptiles, mini beasts, even amphibians. Another thing you could do is plant wildflowers. It's such a treat when all of the colourful wildflowers pop up in your garden and then you can have fun trying to identify them. Just make sure they are native seeds. You could also leave a wild section. In my garden I have a quite a large area of overgrown shrubbery. It looks a bit mad but I know it's wild, it's helping 
animals to scurry into. It's got lots of dandelions at the moment for bees. Um, and I actually love it. It's a good one if I want to go bug hunting. Um, another easy win for your garden is leaving out bird feed um, and also water. So all you have to do is make sure these are cleaned quite regularly to prevent the spread of disease. Um, but then it's so exciting to see what visitors. I had my first sparrowhawk come into the garden, not to go on the feeder, but I was just very, very, very excited. Um, and I've also had a great spotted woodpecker. So make sure as well, if you can, grab some binoculars and keep an eye out after you've popped your, feet, your food out. Um, now that you've introduced some more wildlife friendly features to your garden, um, you can now try listen to birdsong, you could go on a bug hunt, you could set up your own moth trap and that's you can pop a sheet on a fence panel or even the washing line um, at night time and then shine a torch into that. You could lay down on the grass or the patio and cloud watch or even journal and draw the species that come to visit. This is a favourite random act of wildness for me um, because I find it really, really relaxing and it encourages the time I spend looking at the species so I therefore get to know them a little bit better. Um, but I hope I've given you some ideas to do in your garden this June and I really, really, really hope you enjoy 30 Days Wild this year. Hi everyone, I'm Bailey and I'm the campaigns officer at Essex Wildlife Trust. It's that amazing time of year where 30 Days Wild comes around again. And this year, myself and my dog Hugo are going for a walk every single day just to get outdoors. Lunchtime is our favourite time to go for a walk because after a morning of work, we can get outdoors, listen to the birds, fill our lungs with fresh air and feel completely refreshed, ready for the afternoon. Today, we're in our local woodland, which Hugo loves especially because he is a hound and there's loads and loads of things to sniff. Come on, good boy. We were barely in the woods two minutes before a muntjac crossed our path, a beautiful muntjac, and we are surrounded completely by birds hopping around the undergrowth and in the trees, which you can probably hear. One of our favorite things to see is a jay hopping around and there's loads of them in these woods. The ground is nice and spongy today as it's been raining recently, but it's nice and dry today. However, I still think we're gonna be going home with some muddy paws. Hi there, I'm John, Living Landscapes Coordinator for the Trust. And I'm his daughter, Harriet. We love taking part in 30 Days Wild. We do, and last year we made short videos for Wildlife TV of things you can do to help hedgehogs in your garden. We made sure there was access to food, water, shelter, along with connectivity to neighbouring gardens. We were really excited to find a hedgehog in our garden for the first time. We were. It was the dog that found it, wasn't it, when we let her out in the evening. <laughs> and the hedgehog was just snuffling along one of the edges of the wildflower borders we'd planted. Now it's finally warmed up. They're absolutely blooming and buzzing with life, aren't they? Can you remember some of the other things we did? We made some holes through and under fences to help it get through. We made min a mini pond uh, so it had access to water. 
Yeah, we made some log piles, so there's plenty of habitat for insects and bugs. And we made a hedgehog house uh, using spare bricks and paving slabs. Now hedgehogs are one of the many species that really need our help and a few simple actions can make a real difference. Why don't you go wild this June? Yeah! Oh, that was in it! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys! And don't forget there's lots of wild ideas you can do inside too. You could download some bird song to work along too. It's great for boosting concentration and creates a peaceful ambient background where music can sometimes get in the way. You could swap up on some species, plant some herbs for your windowsill, do some rock painting or watch one of our wild webcams. The eagle-eyed amongst you might have seen our resident swallow has now got chicks. So head over there and have a look as soon as you can as they grow up really fast. Now it's time for our fact of the week. Did you know, slipper limpets live in stacks. At the base of the stack, the largest and oldest limpets are female, with the younger and smaller males on top. If the females die, the largest and oldest male will turn into a female. Isn't nature amazing? So we're coming towards the end of the show now, and we thought we'd end things on a relaxing note with a five-minute guided meditation session led by advanced level yoga practitioner Alice Hardacre, who is also our fundraising manager here at the Trust. If you've never tried meditation before, why not close your eyes and give it a try? You never know, it might just help you in a way you hadn't considered before. Or if you already know the amazing benefits of this ancient art form, Take five minutes out to enjoy this wonderful relaxation exercise. So until next time, close your eyes, breathe deeply and enjoy. Hello, I'm Alice. Today I want to invite you to join me in a guided relaxation that uses some restorative yogic breathing techniques. Our physical response to stress is the same for immediate and for longer term times of stress. Our heart rate builds, our breathing gets shallow, muscles tighten and our bodies completely deprioritize sleep, relaxation and proper food digestion. Just like sleep and food, our breath is actually a main source of energy. In yoga, breath control or pranayama clears the body to allow energy to flow. The following five minute guided relaxation lowers our stress levels and helps the whole body function better. So let's begin. With shoes and socks off, find a comfortable seated position or even better, lie on your back. If you can be outdoors today, you can also receive the proven health benefits from barefoot contact with the earth's surface, known as earthing or grounding. Close your eyes. Rest your hands with your palms open and facing up. Your spine is long and relaxed. Your shoulders sink gently down into your back. 
your heart is open and receptive. Soften your jaw with your eyes resting deeply into your head. Turn your gaze inward to the space between your eyebrows. Notice the parts of your body that are in contact with the ground and ground them further. Feel the earth rise to meet you, cradling your body and fully supporting your weight. Relaxed, receptive, restored. Take a deep, expanding breath into your belly, your sides, your back, your chest, filling all spaces and a long breath out, sinking down into the earth. Take another deep breath into your belly, your sides, your back, your chest, and a long breath out, sinking down further into the earth. Lengthen this to a count of five as you inhale and eight as you exhale. In and out. In and out. On each slow exhale, picture the out-breath gently floating away as you relax even further. There is nothing else you need to do and nowhere else you need to be. Keep breathing in this way, relaxed, receptive, restored. Now let your breath settle down into its normal rhythm. Your heart is open, the space between your brows is soft, your eyes are resting deeply into your head, your neck and jaw are loose and soft. Notice the gentlest rise as you inhale and exhale soft long, floating, effortless. When you feel your attention wander, gently return your mind to glide along the rhythm of your breath. Relaxed, receptive, restored. You are sinking deeper down into the earth, down, down.
down. With your eyes still closed, start to bring sensation to your fingers and your toes. When you're ready, slowly raise your arms above your head and take a full body stretch. If you're lying down, gently bring yourself to a seated position. Opening your eyes now, raise your arms again into a V-shape above your head and gently lift your chin, feeling wide and open as you expand like your breath, filling as much space around you as you can. Hold this for one more deep breath in and out. Bring your hands to a prayer position and humble your head to your heart. Namaste.